0: I hope what you learned from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, warrior, welcome back. And this is a Tactical Tuesday, a short form conversation with subject matter experts designed to give you the practical tools, tips, and advice for building your solar business or career. Now, if you're new here to Suncast, these Tactical Tuesdays, as the name would imply, typically come out on Tuesday, and they're less than 30 minutes, so that you can enjoy it on your way to work or home, a short run, wherever you can squeeze it in. For those of you that are up on recent episodes, perhaps you'll recognize today's guest, Greg Dixon of Voltus, as a guest that we featured back in episode 316. And Greg gave us a fantastic insight into the world of demand response and the way that Through his company Voltus and his deep experience with a company called Interknock and even before, he has learned how the grid is necessarily evolving and integrating new, what we call distributed energy resources. But there's so much to unpack about distributed energy resources that we didn't have time in episode 316 to really go into it. And that's what today's episode is all about. And this is a doozy. Greg and I go into what he refers to as the four horsemen of distributed energy resources. Essentially, what are the four new ways that energy in this DER format is being traded like an energy product that in many ways marks the, we'll call it the end of an era, but the changing of times for the electricity markets as we know it. Greg and I go into how each one of these have to satisfy an electricity market product and the three basic products that they need to satisfy. We go into each individual one of these essential elements of distributed energy resources, energy efficiency, demand response, distributed generation, and energy storage. Of course, all of this is done in service of you so that you can be more educated on how to speak about these topics eloquently in your next professional or social encounter where you want to geek out a little bit about how the energy markets work. And of course, if you love listening to this kind of content and filling your brain with these oodles and noodles, then you'll want to go check out more than 325 additional interviews, very much like this one at mysuncast.com. I would encourage you to go ahead and hit subscribe right there in the podcast player that you're listening to, Spotify, iTunes, you name it, so that the very next Suncast episode shows up right inside your little notification drawer. And lastly, one selfish ask is, would you take some time to rate and review it so that others in this holiday season, while we are taking time to try to catch up on our podcasts, will discover SunCast on their very own, just like you did either this week or once upon a time. If it's been helpful to you, would you do that? Maybe just call it your season's greetings and holiday gift to the SunCast community. Rate and review in iTunes or Spotify, wherever it is that you listen. Help others find the show, I'd be ever so grateful. But for now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another Tactical Tuesday here on Suncast. Okay, as promised, we have Greg Dixon back from Voltus Inc. to talk all about how DERs are structured, how they matter to you as an energy professional and what you need to know to be able to have at least an interesting dinner conversation about this very complex topic. Greg, welcome back to Suncast. Thanks, Nico. Man, we uh, got some great feedback from the phenomenal episode that we did with you back in November. You guys <clears throat> are having a great run. Uh, congratulations again on your Series B raise. How are things going since the raise? Crazy. Just the way we love it. <laughs> I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Is it fair that I have called... I've said it's like the second coming of Internoch, or it's like Internoch 2.0. I can't remember how I said it. it's like the evolution of Internoch. What do you think? Is is that fair or is there some other way that you refer to it?
1: No, it's fine. I I don't I don't try to try to manipulate or really influence how people perceive it. You know, it's it is a continuum. I, I think of it as a continuum. You know, demand response actually started back in 18 the 1890s, Thomas Edison's first Pearl Street Station, actually implemented demand response. So it's a a continuum. Yeah, yeah, there's an interesting story there. You know, when Thomas Edison completed the Pearl Street Station in lower Manhattan, it was the world's first commercially available electricity production to power lights on Wall Street. And what he realized is when demand for lights was at its highest was in the, you know, late afternoon, early evening of the winter and the demand exceeded the power production of his power plants. And so he charged people more during those hours. That's the earliest form of demand response. And so people responded to that by being more conservative with how they consume lighting. And that is literally the first form
0: of demand response. Oh, that's interesting. So demand response in a way is a form. I mean, it's variable pricing. That's right. Um, you know, California residential tiered energy structure is a, in a, in essence by your definition a form of demand response.
1: That's exactly right. Time of use rates are demand response.
0: How interesting. Well, we're going to get into some really interesting market mechanisms that make all of that work for us and there's a bit, you know, it's a bit complex to say the least. You've spent the better part of the last, uh, you know, couple of decades helping the market evolve the way that these demand response or uh, distributed energy resource mechanisms interact and how to create electric market products around them that are tradable. So I thought it'd be fun to bring you back on the show and talk about what you've called the four horsemen of DERs. So DERs, for those who aren't following along or maybe new to the show, D- distributed energy resources. And if you did miss the episode with Greg to be in, in the beginning, it was uh, just before Thanksgiving, the week before Thanksgiving. In November, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that episode of Greg and Voltas to get the backstory. Today, Greg and I are going to talk all about the four horsemen of DERs. Now, Greg, when we talk about DERs, I think that it is important to get down to what Silicon Valley would call first principles. And you mentioned that there are a few really important concepts to really understand before you can grasp DERs and the four horsemen as the essential elements of how distributed energy resources work. Could you dive into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So
1: you know, one of the things that's really important for anyone in clean tech, clean energy, climate tech, whatever the the term of art is being used most frequently need to understand are the principles of electricity markets. And there are three fundamental products that all electricity markets need. They need capacity, they need energy, and they need ancillary services. And the way to think about those three products is capacity is the peak output of all generation and supply, including those uh, resources on the demand side of the equation, when they're all stacked together and they're producing their maximum output. You can think about it like your car. Your car engine might have a, a peak horsepower rating of, say, 300 horsepower, but when you're driving it down the highway at 65 miles an hour, it's probably only putting out about 100 horsepower. Its peak capacity is 300 horsepower in this example. Ancillary services are the services that a grid needs to balance supply and demand in real time. And you can think about it as, uh, think about it like your car's transmission, right? You don't want to be redlining your car at 9,000 RPM in first gear driving 60 miles an hour down the highway, right? It's not efficient. So this transmission in your car is meant to uh, ensure the efficient use of that capacity, in putting the rubber to the road, and so th- that's ancillary services for the grid, and then energy is essentially the kilowatt hours, the megawatt hours, the consumption of electricity over a period of time, and that's kind of like the gasoline and the in the you know the, the gas tank of your car or the amount of lithium ion battery capacity in your electric vehicle. With that as a construct, all DERs have to provide some form of those products, and, and often stacked together. For instance, we've talked about demand response to provide all three of those things. And that's true for energy storage, distributed generation, and uh, to a certain extent, energy efficiency. And those four things are the, the four horsemen of DERs.
0: Greg, I think it'd be awesome if you could give us some down-to-earth examples, as you just did, for, for these three basic electricity market products, for DERs for those who are relatively unfamiliar with each one of these. Go from energy efficiency on through if you would.
1: I'll also layer into this the notion that there are differences in these electricity market products at the wholesale level and the retail level. So I'm going to give you examples of DERs that kind of deliver capacity, energy, and ancillary services into retail and, and wholesale. So let's start with Energy storage. In fact, I had a series of conversations last week with a number of auto manufacturers trying to figure out how do they get more value and deliver more value to their consumers with their electric vehicle fleet. So a simple example we worked through is if you're a consumer of say a thermostat, like a Nest, a Google Nest product, that interface of the product allows you to sign up to these electricity market programs, demand response programs through their rush hour rewards Program And you then get an economic benefit from allowing the grid or a utility to periodically control what that thermostat is controlling, right? Because it's connected to your network. Well, the same is going to be true with electric vehicles, such that you're driving your, say, Audi e-tron, and there's an interface that you have that essentially pops up and says, would you like to enroll your Audi e-tron in the (laughs) Audi's rush hour rewards program? such that National Grid or wherever the utility is that the vehicle geospatially has been recorded in has the ability to monetize its lithium-ion battery capacity. And you then get the ability to select how much of that battery capacity is offered into an electricity market. You then receive a payment, and that payment can be in any number of forms. Maybe you sign up to have it deposited in your PayPal account or a direct deposit into your bank account. But the consumer has a very simple and elegant interface on the dashboard that allows them to monetize the capacity of that DER, in this case, energy storage, both at the retail level because the car may be located in Boston in the National Grid Utility Territory. That's a retail program where the local utility may want to control that unit. In this example, National Grid is also part of ISO New England. Now, ISO New England may want to use that battery capacity for ancillary services to balance the grid in real time. And so now the consumer is signing up that vehicle and whatever capacity they choose to enroll in in the examples that we are providing here, capacity and ancillary services, and they get a payment for being part of that program. So that's energy storage. We've talked a lot about demand response, but I'll go back to the Google Nest example. Google has done a great job working with utilities to deliver the capacity, energy, and ancillary services the Nest thermostat provides. By controlling that Nest thermostat, you can provide any three of these electricity market products. Typically, what they're doing is selling that product at a utility level, the retail level. One of the big challenges, of course, is you you may have a million thermostats in the New York City area. That's a huge amount of capacity in those thermostats that the New York ISO, the independent system operator for the entire state of New York, would also like to make use of. Today, that's not being done. But in the future, it can be done with better information exchange. One of the big challenges in wholesale markets is simply registering these these assets. The distributed nature of what we do has us integrating not just thousands or tens of thousands, but millions of devices into these energy markets. And the grid's not set up to accommodate that. You know, There's only you know, 30,000 power plants in the entire United States, traditional power plants on the supply side. These grid operators aren't traditionally set up to deal with millions of devices. So in the future, as the information systems of grid operators and utilities evolve, it will be easier to integrate these DERs into the system. So I've talked about energy storage. I talked about demand response at the residential level with a Google Nest. Distributed generation is also a huge opportunity, and it comes in lots of forms. I think your listeners may be most familiar with on-site solar, rooftop solar. That has capacity value. But there's also other distributed generation types, like emergency on-site generation, where you can shift power consumption from taking it from the grid to simply self-supplying on-site. A lot of mission-critical facilities have on-site generation that can be integrated into these markets, both at the retail and the wholesale level. That's capacity, energy, and ancillary services. One of the distinctions that I think is important to note for your listeners is that, although I'll stay at a high level, it gets complex fast, ancillary services typically are needed again, for balance, well, they are needed for balancing supply and demand in real time. And as a result, the resources typically needed in a very short period of time, like instantly, sub-second or within 10 minutes to deliver a product because, you know, there was a lightning strike of a transmission line that took that transmission line out. And they need resources very quickly to balance supply and demand and make sure that the grid is rerouted power Accordingly, so ancillary services, in the example of on-site generation has us turning on that generator much more quickly after the signal is made to the generator. Capacity is typically a longer lead time, meaning, I might actually know day ahead when that resource is going to be needed during certain hours in the afternoon. And then energy, an energy product could be that the generator, or the thermostat or the electric vehicle, sets a strike price on a dollar per megawatt hour basis and says You can also deploy this distributed energy resource anytime the locational marginal price in the energy market of a wholesale market exceeds a certain level. So for instance, we say anytime it goes above $200 a megawatt hour, run my on-site generator because I will then be consuming power less expensively than I would otherwise if I was taking power from the grid.
0: And this is exactly what you see. I don't know how often you're seeing this in the United States, but for example, the entire existence of the storage market in brazil is on this premise it makes more sense for me to run my on-site generation capacity than to buy it from the grid right now and so i mean i have several friends who are building storage business in brazil based out of the premise that we're going to have virtual power plant we have on-site storage and uh we have on-site generation and it ties exactly into this energy premise of like when the set point reaches X. The whole notion around that energy, as well, of like when set point X sort of intersects vertice Y, like we are going to take a Z action, is how demand response works, right? Like that's that's the premise of how uh, companies like Interlock created value for customers for the last two decades. We've got on-site solar. We've got emergency on-site. Any other examples of distributed generation and their relevant products, like capacity?
1: Lots of them. I'll give you one more cogeneration systems, often large industrials will have their own cogeneration system because cogeneration as a form of power production is the most efficient, right? You're, you're uh, creating electricity, but there's a thermal byproduct that as we know with central power stations is lost to the atmosphere because you can't transmit it over long distances. But if you have a, let's say a 50 megawatt industrial site that's producing food, you know, beer, you know, <laughs> a large Anheuser-Busch facility, they need a lot of hot water. They need thermal energy. On-site cogeneration will provide not only the electricity, but also the thermal energy that might, they might need for production. It's a super efficient form of energy production. That is a distributed energy resource unit. Well, the way that all power plants operate is typically they operate in what's known as a continuous duty mode. But all power plants have different modes of operation. They have continuous duty which means they are running at a certain output level for a very long period of time. They have prime duty, which essentially means they're producing a little bit more, but they can't be at that production level for too long. And then they have emergency duty, which means they can essentially put the pedal to the metal using our car analogy, and they can redline that engine for you know two to four hours without really degrading the longevity of the unit. And so you have all these on-site cogeneration generation systems that when given a grid signal can ramp up their production for short periods of time and deliver those three energy market products.
0: And this is one of the amazing benefits that we're now seeing that companies like Green Charge Networks and STEM, you know, were early to tap into from a storage perspective for solar on-site renewables. This is where Bloom is getting a lot of its value, right? The ability to create on-site capacity that gives Continuous duty mode, if necessary, but more importantly, these prime and emergency duty responses to grid signals. It's super important in places like California, where, as we're seeing, rolling brownouts occur. Even more important, and this is relevant for a specific portion of the SunCast audience, in places with simply unreliable grids, in islands, in uh, Latin America, where grid volatility is, uh, is much more unreliable. So it's, it's very interesting to think about. We, we don't have time or scope to go into the market pricing mechanisms as they relate to places outside of the United States at present. But we see different markets responding to how they're going to integrate DERs differently from Australia to uh, Mexico to Brazil and every place in between. We've still got one more, and that is energy storage, which is one that we're all following and anxiously As an industry right now, because energy storage, as I just mentioned, is unlocking the power of DERs for everyone in our space from a solar and uh, and renewable energy, onsite renewable generation perspective, notably since early 2019 when Sunrun became the first to actually bid into an ISO market with storage capacity as a virtual power plant. So tell me a bit more about storage as a DER and the specific examples of how it can service capacity, ancillary, and uh, energy services.
1: Yeah, so energy storage is actually probably the simplest form of distributed energy resource. I, I actually did give you an energy storage example in the form of an electric vehicle. It's just a battery. And so, you know, stationary batteries as a form of energy storage are pretty simple. It doesn't really look a whole lot different than an on-site emergency generator, except for the fact that right now one of the challenges is
0: they typically are limited to two hours of production output. But with the benefit, is they're orders of magnitude faster response? Absolutely. Typically. And that, that's right. And
1: that's, that's a really powerful characteristic of energy storage. It's important to note that that feature, although it has a lot of value, it also has the potential to flood what's known as a thin market, and we saw this actually happen in, in PJM. So, Energy storage is often used for a component of ancillary services of which there are about seven different types of ancillary services from Black start to spinning reserves to regulation reserves. They are really, really capable of delivering any of those types of, of those ancillary services regulation reserve, which is a sub-second regulation of frequency at the grid level, both up and down, meaning keeping frequency at the 60 hertz level in the US, as we have as a standard, and providing services that ensure that we keep that frequency at 60 hertz as a feature of energy storage, battery storage specifically, that's very valuable. Battery storage can also provide spinning reserves, which is a form of ancillary services, and supplemental reserves, which is also a form of ancillary services. Batteries are very uniquely capable of delivering that beyond what even an on site generator can deliver, because you can't just turn on an on site generator in less than a second and have it producing full output. So energy storage is a great form of distributed energy resources that can deliver all three of those services course, it's also charging off of the grid, so it can't continue to deliver its service for more than typically two hours, although that's changing significantly. It's got to charge at some point.
0: You know, progress and change are not achieved by standing still. We must challenge the status quo and do things differently. There are moments in time that change the course of our history, and for us, that time has come, a moment to act now for a brighter solar future. In a global scenario where the demand for renewable energy is constantly growing, solar has the power to shape new and powerful energy models to drive progress and prosperity for a sustainable world. At Suncast, we stand with FEMER, and together we can shape the future of solar. Learn more about how FEMER is changing the future of solar at solar.fimer.com. That's solar.fimer.com. I've been wondering, what's your least favorite solar asset management activity? You know, those daily, weekly, sometimes monthly deliverables that you just have to check off the list, but can be such a drag. Well, let me tell you how to press the easy button and get going on the work that really matters by automating your invoicing and ticketing and reporting with Powerhub. Focus on the work that you want to do. Take the boring stuff off your plate with Powerhub. You can go to powerhub.com forward slash suncast to learn more.
1: So, the final of the four horsemen of DERs is energy efficiency, which is a little more difficult for most folks to understand because energy efficiency isn't something that you actually dispatch. So, energy efficiency as a capacity resource is is something that people don't fully appreciate exists in many wholesale markets. And the way that it works is is as follows. Wholesale markets have to plan the capacity that is needed to deliver under some planning paradigm. And typically that paradigm is they forecast the peak electricity demand of the hottest summer in 10 years. And then they add on 15% for what's known as operating reserves. And that, of course, varies by market. That's essentially how they they plan forward for capacity. And then there's typically a market mechanism to procure that capacity, and that's typically a reverse auction method. Sometimes it's a one-year forward market, a one-month forward market, a three-year forward market in the case of PJM. But with energy efficiency, if you're planning for meeting peak demand in some future period, and you come to that market with the ability to reduce load permanently, It really doesn't look any differently than producing load through a large generator that you plan to have in place during that planning period. So for instance, if you are planning to meet peak demand on a grid that needs 1,000 megawatts of supply, and that demand in our example using a 15% operating margin is 850 megawatts, but Nico and Greg's Energy Efficiency Virtual Power Plant comes into that auction and says, "I can actually permanently reduce 100 megawatts of that peak demand through lighting retrofits at everybody's home and all businesses." These market operators will say, "Great, we no longer have to procure 100 megawatts of power traditional power plants. We can credit ourselves with the permanent reduction in demand, and that." then is monetized as a capacity resource.
0: So for anyone who is extremely confused about how this works in practice, that is hands down the best example ever given on Suncast. Several of you will know that I used to work with a couple of guys here in Durham, Wildland Energy, now American Efficient, smart, smart investors who are bidding exactly with this strategy into the regional market. If you'd like for me to bring... Ben and Mark onto the show to talk about specifically electricity, energy efficiency as a ancillary service or capacity market mechanism in the regional ISO markets. Please let me know, hit me on LinkedIn, hit me on Twitter. I only want to do it if it's something that you guys think would be hugely valuable. I'm not sure that you're going to really appreciate the amount of value that Greg just dropped in your earballs. Nonetheless, we're going to keep trucking. I really would encourage you to go like just hit Rewind and listen to the last eight or so minutes again it It's worth soaking up how megawatts the reduction of power is being sold as an ancillary service it's being sold as as capacity effectively into these regional iso markets and it it is real fundamental understanding and thinking to help you gauge how energy storage will play a role in the future as we think about different products. Anything else that you'd like to highlight? I'm sure there are millions, but what else would you like to highlight around energy efficiency as a core understanding as a distributed energy resource?
1: Here we get way too complicated, too
0: quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, well, let's, let's do this. I'll, you didn't ask me for this, but I'm genuinely curious. You know so much about this because you're developing products to take advantage of the market knowledge that you have on behalf of your clients to help them save money. So let's go back to demand response and energy storage. Let's just take energy storage as an example. A lot of the ways that you describe this, and this is what I was on the phone with one of the storage providers I mentioned to you before, right before our call, trying to wrap my head around, whose job is it going to be to send those price signals, or rather to control the mechanisms at the home level, and or to manage at a software level the pricing model and the and the the handshake between the utility and the homeowner. How does that work? It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> so there's work to be done.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is one of the the brutal truths about this industry and about consumers. One could say cynically, we just don't give a shit. And <laughs> the data shows that that is true. So one of the challenges in electricity markets is that 99% of the year in these markets that actually you where you're watching the real time price of electricity it's incredibly boring it's eye wateringly boring it's like washing paint dry 99% of the hours power fluctuates between you know 15 bucks a megawatt hour and 40 bucks a megawatt hour it doesn't change much consumers won't change their behavior based on the very small changes there. But 1% of the hours, maybe 2% of the hours of the year, prices can go up a thousand times.
0: It's like watching Bitcoin. <laughs> yes, it, 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 great example. Great example.
1: It's like so so the, the question is, you know, what's the option value here? And how do you take an unknown price volatility and package it into a commercial offering that consumers will buy. And that's what we've done at Voltus. We hmm. take these very complex concepts and we simplify it for consumers who then say, okay, that makes sense to me. Now we manage all the sausage making, the cost, the risk, all of that behind the scenes with the software and the interfaces to markets. But the commercial offer we make to consumers is super simple. That's the real science and art of it. And that's typically where clean energy companies fall short is they're exposing these customers and consumers to the complexity that they don't want.
0: You know, you spent some time talking about being able to, there's another, another market, missing market registration element for me. It's like, how does this actually work? I was on the phone with a friend who SwitchX, they just rebranded to ClearTrace. Their entire business, as you're probably aware, is providing a market mechanism for registering the value that's being created. And I know that this is something that's been happening at the REC level globally, and that registration and trading registered assets is how a lot of value has been created in especially third world markets or developing country markets. But where are we at as a market for registration of assets in energy markets of megawatts and megawatts through Nest thermostats and otherwise? Like, how does this happen Uh, Does it have a cost?
1: It's a fascinating element of the evolution of the distributed energy resource market. And the analogy I use is all the devices we're using right now, Nico, our PCs, our blue microphone, our Bose headphones, they all have a Mac address, a media access control address that is unique to that device. That's what in part allows the internet to actually work. We don't have that in the DER world, meaning there's no unique identifier of a cogeneration unit, a solar rooftop unit, that once you plug it in, like you do with your Bose headphones, for instance, to the internet, you can deliver certain services to that device as a result of this standard Mac address simply being there. And and so going back to my analogy with the Audi e-tron, well, that Audi is obviously driving around. And its location, where it actually is charging, is in a different place than it was, say, in the morning and a different node on the grid. Well, how do we know that? Right now, we don't. And that's a challenge because if you're, in the example I provided, National Grid, and you want to deploy 100 megawatts, you want to curtail the charging with 100 megawatts of electric vehicles because that service is what you're relying on, and you don't know exactly where it is. And how it's plugged in and how it's registered and all the information that you and I take for granted and at the internet level, we can't solve this DER problem long term. We have to take these fundamental concepts of information technology and integrate it into DERs, which we haven't done.
0: Yeah, I can just imagine how complicated that'd be around the holidays too, because uh, I travel, <laughs> right? right. I'm, not at my, I'm not in my home jurisdiction where right. National Grid would want me to be. But your PC,
1: you know, you're not always at your home. You take that PC someplace else, lots of places. And when you plug it in, that Mac ID tells the internet where it's at.
0: So is this finally where blockchain can have a role? We're not, not talking about crypto yeah, assets. Yeah. We're talking about yeah, blockchain, the, the technology, yeah. a registration. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, certified trustless registry, right? Where yep. we absolutely know. Is that is this finally where blockchain can have a real credible role?
1: Yeah, it's a good debate. I, I I'm a little cynical about it only because you know one of the features of blockchain is that you know the anonymity and the privacy of blockchain is super important. Yet the grid has a physical layer to it that you cannot avoid
0: there's an anonymity around i think that to push back on that i think maybe the anonymity and this is one of those words anonymity of blockchain personally i see as something that is mostly tied to financial asset ownership but if you look i mean underlying bitcoin is a uh, you i can tell anytime bitcoin is exchanged as long as i have the address i can tell who exchanged it where it was exchanged how much was exchanged etc right so there is a knowable quantity on the ledger itself i'll i'll say like this a wasn't a part of the scope of the conversation so i'm fine if we just move uh, if we move beyond pontificating on blockchain but it occurs to me that the ability to register these assets in my view as someone who's been thinking about this and asking you know 200 plus guests on this show is one of the fundamental core problems we have to solve before any of this vehicle to grid or any of the other you know sort of scalable DER dreams that we have can be accomplished so my question to you as someone who plays an important role in this marketplace is who should we be watching or where should we be looking for those benchmark signs those bellwethers that oh we're we're getting somewhere
1: i think it's the internet the internet is designed in such a fashion that it can inform so many of the challenges that we're trying to address with with DERs. And so I gave you the the MAC address example. As an industry, DERs are nowhere near the sophistication around standards that the, the internet has been developed under. We've got to get way better at integrating those standards into everything that we do.
0: So are these the kinds of standards that a central governing body would come up with? Is this something that anybody in our industry is working on?
1: Yeah, so IEEE is an industry, obviously an industry organization that develops standards that inform, in part, what DERs are all about. But it hasn't taken the standards to the level of standards that exist on the internet or with the internet that this DER industry really needs. But the big, big DERs, you know, the singular, the, the biggest singular DERs, the CNI, the commercial and industrial focused DERs, they don't have a MAC address.
0: Yeah, and this would be a good question for companies like, uh, you know, I mentioned Sonnen and even Tesla, right, is how are they addressing, is there a common standard? Mac is a common standard that we all agree to. Is there a common standard that they're working into the software and even the hardware of how these assets are rolled out? Greg, what question didn't I ask about these four horsemen that I should have or that the listener perhaps is still asking that you are aware of and I'm not?
1: Why is it so hard for us to simply standardize, not only in the US, but worldwide, how these resources are plugged into the grid, no differently than the analogy that we've been talking about with plugging a device into the internet. The craziest part about what we do is, in the electricity market, it is a network. It's, in fact, arguably the very first network, right? Yet, we're stuck in the 1890s with how we plug things into this network, so much so that even in the US, wholesale markets themselves are balkanized and don't exist everywhere in the United States, which is really a travesty because the value of wholesale markets is unquestionable, irrefutable. Yet the entire Southeast of the United States and and major components of the Western United States are not part of a wholesale market. Furthermore, all of those regional transmission operators, the independent system operators, should just be a single market. That's the moonshot for me in my career, is helping us get there. Because once that standard is in place, that's the biggest platform for the true innovation of distributed energy resources. And that's the question. Why doesn't that exist? Consumers should demand it.
0: And I won't steal the thunder of anyone who has listened to Greg's longer episode, but I would encourage if you are looking for further insights on this and other musings from an industry veteran with nearly 20 years of experience developing energy markets, you go back and listen, which was episode 316. You have been riveted as well as I with the profound insights and musings of one of my now favorite entrepreneurs in the space, Mr. Greg Dixon, founder and CEO of Voltus Inc. Greg Thanks so much for coming back on Suncast.
1: Anytime, Nico. Thanks for having us.
0: Well, I sure hope that you stopped and were taking notes because the depth of knowledge that was dropped in that episode, I wasn't even able to capture in the first go round. And I sure hope that you are able to put it to good use. I'd love to hear what your takeaways are. Would you mind Greg and I are anxiously awaiting. We've shared our content out onto LinkedIn and Twitter, and that might be where you even discovered this. Would you mind just sharing that post and sharing as a comment your takeaway and thoughts about what you learned of the Four Horsemen and how you will use it in your professional career moving forward? I do hope we'll see you back here on Thursday. I've got a fun episode coming at you with my friend T.J. Kaczeszewski coming back for his second appearance on Suncast. He's the CEO of Innovatus down in South Bend, Indiana. T.J. is going to tell some stories from the front lines. I'm really curious to hear if you like the new format that T.J. and I are playing with in his episode on Thursday. Hope you'll check it out. And I also hope that you'll take some time and go check out all of the ways that we've tried to provide additional insights and value at mysuncast.com through show notes, book recommendations, social media, share links, and so much more for this and every single episode on Suncast. You can go to mysuncast.com and click through the listen to the episodes links. You can click on work with Nico, if you'd like to look into how you could partner with me, how I could help coach you through either getting a career or growing your startup, finding a good product market fit, so many different ways that I work with folks in the solar industry and increasingly beyond. However you want to engage, you can always reach out to me personally. I love hearing from listeners and I just don't get enough of it. I truly do enjoy the fact that you've taken time out of your busy, busy day to fill our episode in your headspace a special thank you last but not least to our sponsors who help make this podcast possible so that you can learn on their dime you can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor that's also where if you are curious about how you can reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions just like yourself fill out the form and ask me yourself remember you are what you listen to So thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.